and, and I started blacking out more easily. Um, I mean, sometimes I would, you know, without not even finishing my first, you know, glass of gin and I would be blacked out. Um, and then other times like drinking literally 30 beers and still being kind of lucid. Like it was just so unpredictable. Welcome to the Recovery Edgecast. My name is Alfredo and I'm an alcoholic. And today I have Ben on the line. How's it going, Ben? Good, man. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for jumping aboard. Um, I met you at the Happy Trudgers group in Denver. I think you came in a little bit after me. Why don't you give us your sobriety date in your home group just to get started? Sure. Well, my home group still is that Happy Trudgers. Yep. Uh, it's a, a meeting in downtown Denver. Uh, and my sobriety date is May 20th, 2015. 2015? Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. When did you find the Happy Treasures Group? I started working downtown in August of 2017, and I found it shortly thereafter. Okay. So maybe you were in around the same time. I I don't know. I was in and out like a bad alcoholic. But um, (laughs) yeah. Around the same time, then, we may have started attending that group. That's cool, though. I love the group. I love your shares there, too. Um, It's always great to hear bits and pieces of either your story or your insight on the topics. So this is a real treat to get you on today to uh, be able to, you know, share your story and tell us uh, what it was like and all that good stuff. Before all that, though, what are you into today? Today, what you mean? What am I? What, how's today been for me? Yeah, these days, like you work in from home, or you? Uh... Oh yeah, sure. I um, well, yeah, I, I'm I'm working downtown. I've been going into the office since last year. I uh, I suck at working from home, and uh, honestly, it was threatening my spiritual fitness. Um, so I made a decision to start going into the office last year, and I've been going in ever since. Um, uh, so I'm I'm. I'm working as a lawyer downtown and, uh, you know, I get to the, the happy charges meetings, um, you know, usually, usually about twice to three times a week in person. Yeah. Um, I've got two sponsees. Interestingly, one is in Vermont, one is in uh, Arizona and I met them on the happy treasures online meeting, yeah. uh, during COVID. Cool. Our yeah. So that's been cool. And, um, as far as today's sobriety, usually usually I get to Happy Treasures on Fridays, but uh, today I had an out of office thing for work, and so I'm kind of treating this as my uh, my dose for the day, <laughs> which, which I think works. So. Awesome. So you feel warmed yeah. up? Do you do you think you can run through your story? Yeah, yeah. Happy to happy to tell my story, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Happy to do it. Um, so I'll jump into it. Yes, sir. If that's cool. Yes. All right. Um, yeah. So anyway, just uh, my sobriety date, like I said, is May twentieth, twenty fifteen. Um, I got sober uh, at thirty two, right before I turned thirty three. Um, I grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and yes, it was made famous by the office. Um, yeah. And in my hometown, um, well, I mean, first I, I had a, a wonderful family who. who I have one sister who's two years older than me. Uh, my parents were um, wonderful parents who provided everything I could have ever wanted. Um, they were conscientious. They were lovingly strict. Um, they were just uh, great parents. And my, my sister did great, and you know, great sister. And I had a small, tight knit family. You know, not a lot of cousins, but they all lived in Britain. And uh, you know, no one else in my family. Um, that I know of um, had trouble or difficulty with drugs and alcohol. But I'll come back to that. Uh, so anyway, you know, I had a pretty normal home life growing up. Um, in my town, from what I could perceive when I was a kid, and, you know, even as an adult in sobriety, what it seems like to me is that it, drinking was, was a priority in my hometown. Um, you know, I remember going to school, and, and I was in a, a, a school where, fourth through eighth grade were in the same building together and you know from what i could tell the cool kids started drinking in like sixth or seventh grade so 
um, I wanted to be a cool kid. I, uh, we, we had a really good basketball program at that school and I was a pretty good athlete. So, you know, I was like, all right, well, I'm on the basketball team. Let me, let me cement my status in the cool kid club by, you know, experimenting with drinking at, a, at an early age. And so, um, when I was 12 years old, I think almost 13, um, I got drunk for the first time. And, you know, I don't, I don't really remember. I might've had like a sip or two of my dad's beer before that. Um, but the fact that I don't remember be something, it wasn't really impactful. But when I went out with my friends and um, drank like stolen beers and somebody's basement whose parents were like out for the night. Um, and I just, I guzzled, you know, five cores originals just right in a row. And I just, you know, I got, I got, I got drunk and I uh, loved it and I blacked out and I just wanted to keep going. I eventually stumbled home and uh, got caught. This <laughs> was my first time. She mm. got caught, got caught cold by my mom. Cause she waited up for me. <laughs> they always waited up for me. And uh, she knew I was, she knew I was drunk. There was no way I could hide it. And um, I got in trouble. I got grounded. Um, you know, it, I I kind of it sucked to be grounded. I remember it was the summer, um, but I just remember being exhilarated by the experience, and I I couldn't wait to do it again. Um, and I think part of it was the the physical component. I just loved the way it made me feel. I felt cool. I felt you know, like I said, it, it was exhilarating. I felt excited. Um, and then yeah, it was the, it was the social component, like. That's what cool kids did. My, my friends were going to go do it again. Um, and so I wanted to be there. And so um, I don't remember when the next time was. You know, I was on it for probably a month. But eventually I made my way back to it. And I, I just realized maybe I had to be a little more careful. You know, I don't really remember um, controlling it. But, you know, we also had limited opportunities. It wasn't like we could just go out and buy alcohol that easily when you're in seventh eighth grade. However, when I got to high school, it, you know, it just started becoming easier. I, I went to I went to a bigger school. I met people. There was just more ways to get alcohol. And um, I I remember the first girlfriend I had in high school. She she would do cocaine in the bathroom in homerooms, and uh, that was a little much for me. That was a little intimidating at the time. Um, but you know, it was I was in this big public school where kids drank and did drugs, and, and I wanted to be in on that. Um, or at least the drinking. Um, but I definitely started smoking weed too in ninth grade. And, um, you know, uh, I, I was playing football and, you know, I was, I was playing sports, like football, baseball, basketball. So I was, you know, hanging out with older kids and just getting kind of hooked into those teams where you go to parties on the weekends. And um, I really wanted to be a part of that scene. Um, but there, then there was also just, like I said, the physical component. Whenever I would start, you know, I was just like, it was just a switch that slipped on every single time. And even though I knew my parents were going to be waiting up, I just, I couldn't stop. I couldn't say, all right, well, I'm going to have a few and then stop at like 10. So that by the time I get home at 11, I might be okay. Like, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do it. And I faced consequences. I would get caught and I would get grounded. <laughs> and I would um, sneak out sometimes and go get drunk. and you know, sometimes successfully sneak back in. But anyway, you know, but by the time I got into sophomore, junior year, I was getting really good grades and, and everything was okay on paper. I was like, I was excelling in academics and sports. And, um, you know, my parents were, they would get upset with me because of these, you know, escapades. Um, but, you know, they also had to recognize he's doing okay. You know, high school kids are going to be kids. And, you know, he they, they trusted my friends. Um, a lot of my friends were, well, a couple of my friends just did not drink and they would always drive. Um, or, you know, once in a while they would drink when they didn't drive, but they, they just didn't drink and drive and they would always be the ones with cars. And, and so my parents felt good about that. So they started to get a little lenient, um, with my drinking. And, you know, if they were, if I was with certain people, they would kind of, you know, condone it <laughs> begrudgingly. Mm. Um, so anyway, I, you know, I took full advantage of that and I would just, it was just a priority. Every weekend, we would strategize. How are we going to drink? Where are we going to drink? How are we going to get it? You know, I had my first fake ID. At, well, I, I doctored my real ID when I was 16, and that worked a couple times. And then I got a fake ID in New York when I was 17. And 
Um, so we figured out ways to get our own alcohol, which is really of paramount importance. Um, or we would have older kids buy it. Or, you know. We even stole it a couple times off beer trucks. You know, if a guy was wow. going into a, we, we would follow beer trucks around. And if a guy was going into, you know, delivering them to take a hand truck into the store, we'd go grab a couple 30 packs off the truck. And then it was just, and we, you know, we, we just laughed about it. We we're like, haha, this is, you know, we, we got what we wanted and, you know, we're cool and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, so, you know, high school, it went like that pretty much. There were a couple, you know, bad episodes where I was extremely drunk and just like, you know, my parents didn't even believe I, w- I would get that drunk. And, um, you know, a couple things like that. Um, nothing, you know, and we, I would have to run from the cops sometimes when, when parties in the woods got broken up because that's what we did. We just, we usually just drank outside in the woods, um, all, in all seasons. <laughs> um, when I got to, when I went to college, that's, that's when things really got out of control. Um, I, you know, I was, I was away from home. I, I went to a, a huge state school, two and a half hours. I went to Penn State, which is about two and a half hours from my hometown. And you know, I was away from home and I was on my own. And, you know, a lot of kids party in college and but I took it to the next level. I mean, right away, right away. And I decided to join a frat because all the kids on my uh, a dorm floor did too. And, um, you know, I was just blacking out hardcore. Just every time I drank, pretty much I would be blacking out, just drinking as much as I could. Hey, Ben. As, as late as possible. Yeah. At this point, did anyone tell you that you had a problem, like a serious problem? Or was my parents? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a great question. My, my parents, um, I, I don't think in high school, they really, they really said, "Oh, you have a problem." They were just like, "You need to, you need to chill out. You know, you need to behave yourself. You need to get home on time. You need mm-hmm. to, you need to stop. You need to get less drunk." Um, and it definitely caused tensions with. I, I dated a girl throughout high school and college. It was really tumultuous. We broke up a lot, but we were together a lot too. And you know, there was our relationship was strained, and she would get frustrated with how drunk I got sometimes because I would you know, act like an asshole. And um, so, but no, I, I think through high school, no one told me that I had a problem that I remember. Um, I think my parents were a little worried. <laughs> um, at least that's what they, and they, they communicated that to me yeah. uh, since I got sober. And so college was, it, it did really get out of control. Um, I was away from home a lot, so my parents didn't really see the full extent but, you know, it was the same when I would come back home for breaks, you know, for Christmas or whatever and Thanksgiving. And I would do the same kind of things. Like with all my other friends that were home from their schools, we would just, we would just go nuts. And, um, you know, I remember my, when my dad came to pick me up the last day of school, like at Penn State, on, like in the, in the spring semester, my freshman year, I, I had no, I blacked out like for hours and hours and hours. And I woke up on the sand volleyball course like near my dorm. And, um, you know, I was just like, I have no idea what happened. I have no idea where I am like at first. And then, you know, these people picked me up and took me to breakfast with them. And, and then, uh, you know, my dad was like on his way. He was like a half hour out and I had to like pull myself together. And when he got there, he could tell I was still just wasted. And he was, he was scared. I remember he was just like, what the hell, uh, you know? I was, you know, it's not like he, he didn't expect me to maybe party on my last night, but I was just, I was a wreck. I mean, I, I reeked too. I would smell just so strongly of alcohol that, you know, every, people would comment on it. Like my family and friends would comment on it. Um, cause I would just drink so much. And, um, you know, so then it just got worse throughout college. Um, well, I, yeah. So sophomore year, I got, I got an underage drinking citation. Um, I lost my driver's license for three months, um, you know, and that was the first legal consequence. Um, then the summer between sophomore and junior, I got another one and I lost my license for a year, even though it wasn't a driving offense. It was that's just how Pennsylvania works. You get two underage drinking citations, you lose your license for a year. And so that created a big problem for my dad. Like my dad had to drive me to my internship every day and, 
you know, so they were, my parents were really not happy with that. And, um, but I was like, whatever. I just, you know, I was at the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, I stepped off the property with a beer in my hand, you know, who cares? I just thought, whatever, these, this is the cost of doing business, you know? Um, and, you know, I, I lived in the frat house for two years. I mean, there was no shortage of people it was in the frat house. There was over 50 guys that lived there. So any day of the week, you could just find someone who, you know, didn't have a test the next day and was willing to get drunk um, and stoned and high. And, um, I mean, for me, it was, it was pretty much a, a six nights a week minimum that I was drinking to blackout or close to it. Um, often seven nights, very often seven nights. Um, and so the thing is, on paper, things are still okay. I mean, I was, I got good grades. I graduated with like three, seven, five, you know, in the business school. And I was like, I'm hot shit. I, I'm, I'm going places. Like, clearly, I don't have a problem. I, uh, you know, I'm getting good grades and I'm, I'm going to law school. Um, there was one episode though where, and now the underage drinkings, and then there were so many, so many other times that I can't even. Like, where I would just make a fool of myself, just being just totally wasted. I would I would wake up outside a lot in weird places, like or having no idea where I was, strangers' apartments, um, you know, miles outside of town, just like walking somewhere aimlessly, well, just with. Um, I would wake up with random bruises and cuts and things like that. I would, I would start fights with strangers in a blackout state, and like I just don't remember any of it. I don't remember any of it. Ever, you know, I would I would just black out so easily, and I used to make a joke of it. I used to, I used to go around, you know, when I felt like I was really getting drunk, I would I go around to my friends and be like, "Bye," and they'd be like, "Where are you going?" I'd say, "No, no, no I'm just blacking out." So, you know, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> I just I would make a joke of it, right? And uh, and they they thought it was hilarious and whatever. Um, and the blackouts, like, I remember they scared me early on a little bit, but I was just like, well, I guess this is what happens. And, you know, I don't know. It, and it, it, when it starts happening so often, you just kind of, I just started crossing my fingers and hoping for the best. I mean, I didn't, I didn't at all try to control it. I didn't at all try to prevent blackouts or anything like that. So, um, but then, the, yeah, there was one, one episode in particular, it was, it was New Year's Eve, um, my senior, during the senior year. And I was at a party, and I mean, just the same nonsense. Uh, you know, I just I got blacked out drunk. I started a fight with my friend's roommate. I like cheated on my girlfriend, like basically right in front of her. I, I just I was an absolute mess. Um, and she actually actually we were like broken up, I think at the time, you know. But she was there, and and uh, the next day she she called my parents and and just said she was extremely worried about me and. My parents and my sister sat me down when I got home after that big party um, and basically like had an intervention. I mean, it, they, they told me they, they thought I had a, a drinking problem that had become serious. It wasn't the first time they had addressed it at this point. At this point, like it had come up a number of times and they were very frustrated with my behavior. Um, but this was the first time that they really kind of put it in, in uh, clear terms. And I, I agreed to stop drinking for a little bit. Um, you know, I thought, and, and I think they, you know, mistakenly thought too, that if you put together, you know, a couple months of not drinking, then you're not an alcoholic. Um, so I endeavored to do that. I was like, all right, I need to get, I need to, to get some of this heat off me. Um, so my senior, my last semester in college, I, I took a few months off of drinking. I, I don't know how long, maybe two months, maybe three at most, but, um, you know, I did it, I guess. I, I, that's what I remember. I don't think I cheated. I, I think I did it. And, um, I think I white knuckled it. Like, I think it felt very uncomfortable. I felt like I was missing out. <clears throat> um, so by the time I graduated, uh, I was definitely drinking again. <clears throat> and then I, I was off to law school. Um, you know, the same kind of nonsense that summer, I think, I think it was, yeah the same stuff um just blacking out all that kind of thing and then once i got into law school i was like well maybe you know this is more of an adult thing nope um i remember the first night with, with all my new classmates i got blackouts and made out with some girl that i was you know going to be in school with for the next couple of years and um it's you know it's just the same thing now i i toned it down to, to in the sense that i i started drinking i started like 
really trying to take at least two nights off, just not drink anything two nights out of the week. And I, I remember successfully doing that, but you know, the other five nights I was still getting blackout drunk, still unable to stop. And whenever I would stop, which I remember doing sometimes, it just felt awful and unnatural. And I was like, this is dumb. I, like, mm-hmm. why am I stopping? Like, I, this is stupid. And it felt just really, really uncomfortable. Um, but law school went fine. You know, my grades were decent, but it was more challenging than college. And I think I could have done a lot better. Um, and, but, you know, I did fine. And I, I, I was lucky enough to get a really good job uh, in Philly after law school. <clears throat> Um, and you know, once I moved to Philly, it was like, you know, then I was really hot shit. I was making way too much money. Um, I, I mean, even, even the summer setting for the bar, like I didn't take that seriously. We went out constantly. Um, you know, I just drank all the time that summer, every single night. And, um, you know, I, I got my shit together in the last like week and a half right before the bar and studied and passed. But that was just even, I, I treated this all as like more evidence that I'm just so great. Like I can do both. I, I can party like a lunatic. And then you know what? I'm so smart that I can just, I can buckle down and pass the bars in because look at me. I'm so cool and smart. Um, and, and it, it fueled me. Like it, it really made me, you know, that much more bold. Um, and so it was a very rude awakening when I started my, my job that like, okay, they had big expectations for the work I was going to do at this law firm. And I was making a lot of money and going out almost every night of the week. I mean, it was the same sort of thing. I was trying not to drink maybe two nights out of the week. But the other nights I was just, you know, I'd, I'd go out for a happy hour feeling like cool and young and professional. And like, you know, everyone else would trickle off and go home at nine, you know, because it was Tuesday. And I wouldn't make it home until three in the morning. Um, I just couldn't stop. And I was like, now I can like stay out and do it with these random city people, you know? Um, and that was really fun and exhilarating. And, uh, sometime around the cocaine started entering the picture. And, um, you know, I, I, I realized it helps with the blackouts. I wouldn't black out really as easily or as much if I threw in some cocaine and I could just stay up more or stay up longer and drink harder. And, um, so that was really fun. Uh, and so, yeah, and it was this the summer, the first summer in Philly, we got a, we rented a house down at the shore. And I mean, then it is debauchery. Um, you know, everyone kind of had a debaucherous summer. Like all my friends kind of let loose that summer. But I, t- as always, took it to another level. And I, that's when I really started to have these, these crippling, crippling bouts of anxiety on Sundays. Like, I can't believe I have to drive back from the beach now and go to my, go to my real life. Like, and I would just start drinking on Sunday morning just so like I didn't have to drive back. Someone else could and I could just drink beer along the way. And, um, I just, it started to fall apart and, and I, I knew it, but I I couldn't really like sign on to that narrative. I was like, well, no, this is just, I don't want to be part of the rat race, you know, like corporate law, like big high powered law firm. Like, this isn't for me. I want to enjoy my life and have fun, you know. So I quit. I quit my job in 2008, right before the recession, or right as the recession was hitting. But like, I couldn't stay left. I was like, I-, I can't be here. I'm not getting anything done. And if I had stayed much longer, I may have gotten fired because um, I wasn't doing shit. Uh, so I quit my job and um, decided to join the, or apply to Teach for America. And get trained to be a, a, a teacher, and um, I was accepted into that program and decided to move to Colorado and, and become a high school teacher. Um, and and so that was like my great escape from you know uh, big law and Philadelphia. And I like Philly, but I you know I just I had to escape that scene because I was just cratering. Um, and so I successfully made my escape. I moved out here with a girl I was dating in Philly and. Um, you know, I, I immediately loved it out in here in Denver and teaching was, um, it was a very difficult job. Um, but there definitely, if, if you want a lack of accountability, you can have it. And if you want to be manipulative and, and, um, you know, make everyone think you're doing a really good job, 
you know, and be crafty about it, you can do that. And, and it kind of allowed me to drink the way I wanted to. Um, but that's when I started really drinking at, just drinking at home, kind of hardcore, um, pretty much every night. Um, and I would just, at this point, I was just drinking gin. I was just drinking gin on ice. <laughs> and um, I would just, you know, every night, whether I was by myself or not, I would, it became an every night thing once I lived here. Um, and so I would go to work every morning, really hungover, really foggy. But like, when I say really hungover, that's another thing. I thought I was cool because I didn't get headaches or stomach aches, you know. So I was like, I don't get hangovers. I'm cool. I'm tough. You know, all you have to do is drink more water, guys. Like, losers get hungover. But of course I was hungover. I was so mentally foggy and miserable and anxious and jittery. And I was a mess. I was a mess. Um, and, but, but, you know, with teaching, you get summers off. You get, you get a lot of time off. Um, so like I said, it kind of allowed me to drink the way I wanted. And, uh, and I did. And, um, cocaine was becoming more and more of a friend to me. Um, like I said, it would stop the blackouts, but that also meant that there would, there would be, you know, at least one weekend a month where I just literally wouldn't sleep the entire weekend. And so that was becoming a problem. The anxiety was getting worse. Um, and, you know, at one point along the way, like towards the end of my drinking, you know, maybe a year or two out, I was just like, all right, I know what I need to do. Like, I need to stop procrastinating. I need to get a prescription for Xanax. Uh, and manage my money better so that I can have cocaine on me all the time and use a little cocaine during the day for energy, um, drink at night, take Xanax to sleep. Um, and I, I was like, bingo, I've got it. <laughs> you know, that's going to be it. Uh, I never got around to getting that prescription because I was, uh, lazy, I guess. Um, and oh, I mean, I skipped over a DUI in 2012. I mean, I I got a yeah, I got a DUI. I you know, I, I think the circumstances are really interesting when I look back on it now. I was I just started playing baseball in a rec league, and I thought I was like really cool for doing that again. And I remember I was at a party with all these guys that were younger than me, all these guys on my team were younger than me, and um, I was just was like so excited to be part of like this new thing. And um, I mean, I just got just destroyed at this party. Um, and, and it's just one of these examples where I, I drank for, I mean, the, the, the worst of my drinking was done when I was like happy and excited and manic. And it was just fuel. It was just gasoline on a fire. Um, and I mean, I also drank when I was like sad or anxious and all that too. Definitely. I just drank for every single emotion. Um, it was what I did all the time. That was who I was was someone who got fucked up. So anyway, you know, anyway, I, I got destroyed at this party and I left the party in my car and um, I, I got a DUI like way the hell out in Brighton, Colorado. Which, and I have no idea to this day why I was out there by myself. I was driving. My car was still running on the side of the road with music blasting, dome light on. And I was just, I was just like passed out sitting upright in my car. Um, when a, when a cop did a welfare check, um, and for some reason, I, I was like, I don't think I want this this uh, BAT on paper anywhere. Uh, I don't remember any of this, but I, I did. So I, did, I refused the breathalyzer. Otherwise, I'm, I'm sure it would have been in the uh, the old point three because I was just a mess. Mm. So anyway, you know, DUI that that spooked me a little bit. Um, you know, to the tune of maybe taking three days off drinking <laughs> and and refraining from drinking and driving for maybe three months. Um, but then I was right back at it. Um, and you know, all along the way here, there are, there are just countless incidents of, of humiliation. I mean, just the same kind of things. Like, I mean, I still have these scars on my head from one night where I, I mean, I literally have no, I have no clues even to what happened to me. Mm. Um, but I, you know, I just woke up with these deep gashes on my head, blood all over my sheets and my clothing, uh, and like this rag that just wasn't mine, but this rag like stuck to my wounds on my head, you know, and like, that was one of the worst, like the, the you know one of the worst, the worst ones. But um, there were just countless incidents like this. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. it, just so many things, just over and over. These tales, like they they literally just run together for me now until something triggers a specific one, and then I try to share about that at a meeting, just so like you know it, it becomes part of my record again. Because there was just this endless list of, of of things, man. It was just 
I mean, and, and I just got used to it. Like I just, you know, I, I never really tried to control my drinking because I didn't want to. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't love the consequences sometimes, but, you know, I was too demoralized. It, I, I, if I ever tried to avoid those consequences and, and you know, I, I failed. And then I, the way I see it is once you, if, when you try something so many times and you keep failing, you just you stop trying. Um, and I had to build, build it into my narrative that this is just the way things were going to go. And I would just kind of, you know, cross my fingers, hold my breath, like, you know, and hope for a streak of good luck with mm-hmm. my blackouts. And, um, you know, inevitably, um, these things were happening. The frequency started to get really telescopic. I, I just, you know, it was sometimes bunch. They would come in bunches, you know, and 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 I started blacking out more easily. Um, I mean, sometimes I would, you know, without not even finishing my first, you know, glass of gin, and I would be blacked out. Um, and then other times, like drinking literally thirty beers and still being kind of lucid. Like it was just so unpredictable and. Um, and that kind of spooked me too, but not, not to the point of wanting to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And so my narrative to myself, like the story of my life really was just, I want to party. I want to enjoy life. This is how you enjoy life. You, you go to concerts, you know, you go to like five, six concerts a month, you know, you, you get fucked up, you party. I mean, and you, you try to hold on the job and just, you know, meet your, meet your obligations, but like have fun. And that's what I wanted for my life. And, and, you know, I knew this guy who was like in—he was in his late fifties, and he was this real cool guy. He was a fan, and you know, he did a lot of cocaine, um, and he drank a lot. But like, he always seemed to kind of be in control, right? And that was like—that was the dream. And I just latched onto him, and I loved him, and I wanted to be that. Mm. Um, but I couldn't—I couldn't do it. And you know what? I don't know if he could either. I mean, <laughs> the guy was doing cocaine all the time. I, I don't know how it worked out for him. I'm not touching it anymore, but. You know, it probably didn't work out great. I don't know. Who knows? Mm-hmm. None of my business. But um, anyway, what happened was, I mean, the way it all fell apart, really, and, and led to me wandering into an AA meeting was um, I uh, I was on a real run. It was a real bender. Um, it started with, like, a concert with a bunch of friends. And um, I, I had a bachelor party, like, in Vail the, this coming weekend. And I was the one supplying all the cocaine for it. So I had a ton of cocaine in my possession and started at the concert. And I was with like some, some fun people. We're all, we all got drunk and high and like had a great time. And then the next day was opening day for the Rockies. And I just, you know, rolled right on into it. So I was in the morning, doing cocaine in bathrooms all day. Um, and then the next day it was like, go pick up some people at the airport and get out the veil for the bachelor party and just, I mean, just keep rolling. And, and I excelled at those things. And I was just like, yeah, let's do it. I have endless energy for, for you know, first of a bender. And um, the first night of the bachelor party, I uh, crowded, or the uh, the bathroom was all crowded with people who were doing cocaine in the bathroom, actually. Um, and so I was like, let's just go outside, do cocaine outside. Um, and so we went outside, we wandered like behind some buildings. And... Um, I literally had like the key of cocaine to my nose when the top, the top came around the corner, caught me like red handed. <laughs> I think like I exhaled and blew the cocaine off the key. And, uh, and the other two guys I was with, um, they were, they were like waiting, you know, it was for me to, for me to do it. And then they would, you know, so they weren't holding anything. Actually, they did have it in the pockets, but they didn't find it. So they were free to go. I was arrested and, um, you know, charged with uh, felony possession of narcotics. So it was a big deal. Um, that was on like April 12th, right, of 2015. And if you remember, my sobriety date is May 20th. So what happened in the interim? Well, that's, that's really why I got sober. I didn't get sober because of this felony thing. I got sober because after this felony was, was um, charged, I, I, I told my then girlfriend that I was... Um, I was going to explore my relationship with alcohol, whatever the fuck that means. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I like you know, that, hilarious. that, yeah, right. That lasted two days. I think maybe I think I took two or three days off of drinking. And then I was, you know, I eased back into it. And in no time I was driving drunk. 
I remember I was partying at A Basin for like a spring ski day. I drove home drunk from that. Got in a heat fight with one of my friends at the ski house we rented. Uh, I left the state to go to a music festival in Austin, and I was not allowed to leave the state, but it was like it was affairs. And, um, you know, the first night there, I was, I passed out like at the concert venue, woke up with like 100,000 mosquito bites, had to like wander back. Is it, you know, Airbnb, my friends had already been back there. Um, and then the whole trip in Austin, I was just a mess, just like desperately seeking cocaine, cheating on my girlfriend with some girl who had cocaine, like doing cocaine in public again. Um, and obviously all the while getting blackout drunk. Um, I don't know, maybe something inside me sensed it was my last hurrah or something. Who knows? Um, but anyway, I got back from that trip and I wasn't quite done, but like nothing terrible happened after that i remember but um you know i had to deal with this legal thing and um my my lawyer recommended that i do something to show the judge that i you know was maybe addressing my alcohol problem and i was like what <laughs> um he's like well you know yeah dui got underage drinking citations from your past like and i was like yeah no i, I get it so and and after i went to an eip like an employer or eap employee assistance program um, oh, well, first of all, I got fired. Um, the, the Colorado Board of Education gets notified when one of their teachers gets uh, arrested for a felony. So I got, I got immediately suspended from my job and then fired and lost my teaching license. Um, but anyway, for a while, I still had EAP support and I went to a counselor for one session. Um, and, uh, we, we talked about what was going on and, um, and she just very bluntly said, you're, you're a middle to late stage alcoholic. And I, and for the first time I just responded with, yeah, I know. Hmm. And, um, and I didn't even like this woman. I was pissed at her, you know, for telling me that, but also telling me that I needed to do like an, an intensive inpatient program. And I was like, I can't afford that. Like, I don't have any money. She's like, well, okay, fine. That's my recommendation. Um, you know, maybe at least go to a, go to an AA meeting or something. She said, "No, okay, whatever." You know, thanks for nothing. <laughs> and um, I remember storming out of there. But but I called the AA central office. You know, and it was definitely partially because um, I, I definitely wanted to start keeping a log of meetings to show the judge. But you know, I think there was some curiosity about it. Um, and I spoke with a girl on the phone who. I, I just told her my story and, and she just like was so casual and being like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I started doing cocaine to help the blackouts too. Yeah, no, I totally get it. And I was like, oh, interesting. And she, she hooked me up with, with a guy, um, who was going to pick me up that evening and, and grab coffee and talk a little bit and then go to a meeting. And, you know, I'll never forget this guy ever in my life and I'm not in touch with him anymore, but yeah, I mean, we sat and had coffee and I told the story and he, he told a little bit of his and then we went to a meeting and, I don't know. Something happened. Um, I looked around at, at people that were, you know, different from me circumstantially, I guess. But uh, it was a small meeting. The topic was step one. And, you know, I just remember focusing on this woman who was like in her 60s. who talked about like, you know, just drinking wine coolers at home by herself. And like the circumstances of our drinking were so different. But the way she talked about how she felt with it, I was like, oh, my God. I can relate to her. And, you know, before the meeting, that guy told me, um, listen to the similarities, not the differences. And I don't know why, but I actually listened to him. And um, I don't know. I just, I felt like, wow, these, these people kind of get it. This is, this is weird. I didn't expect to, I didn't expect to, to like for so many things in this meeting to resonate with me. But they did. Um, and that night, I remember, you know, my girlfriend came over and asked how it was. And I, and I said, I think I'm going to do this. I remember, I think that's the phrase I used. I said, I think I'm going to do this. Or, yeah, I think I'm going to give this a try. And I went to a meeting the next day. And the topic early on that really resonated with, with me was insanity. Um, I definitely felt insane. I felt completely out of control, like completely manic and frantic all the time. And I, it had just become so exhausting. Um, you know, and I was in the middle of a frenzy and in the mania. I, I was okay. I was comfortable. That's that's where I was like, that's the I felt okay in the frenzy. 
But like, you know, whenever there was a, a downturn in the mania and the frenzy, I was just like so tired and I just and so hopeless and just so miserable um, that my only option was to turn to the, the mania again, you know, that the drug and alcohol induced mania. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's, I just started going to meetings and, and things resonated. I started listening and, you know, the meeting I got sober at was a 7am meeting that met six days a week up in Nevada. And, um, you know, I just, I, I, people, they cared about me. They were happy to see me. They, they wanted to hear about me and, and I wanted to talk. I was definitely not shy. I, I really wanted to talk. In fact, my third meeting ever, um, I was asked to stop talking because <laughs> I had gone too long. And I remember I was waxing poetic about like higher power because I was very, very resistant to the idea of God. Uh, I was a staunch atheist. And, but like something inside me was willing. I was like, whatever, you know, it's this higher power thing. I was waxing poetic about the laws of physics being my higher power or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the chair actually asked me to stop, you know, so we could move on. And then there's some old timer at the meeting goes, do you ever one, do you ever for one second consider that you're not the smartest person in the room? And I remember I was just like, fuck this guy. And, um, but after that meeting, uh, this, this, uh, this guy came up to me who was like a little bit older than me, but closer to my age. And he just kind of laughed it off. He was like, don't worry about that guy. And, uh, he became like kind of a temporary sponsor to me. And, um, he just really spoke my language and yeah. he, it was, he was so important. Um, and you know, I was already going to another meeting when it became clear that he and I had rules that weren't going to allow for us to really form a sponsorship relationship. And, uh, but once, once that became clear and he and I talked about it, I remember the next meeting I went to, this guy walked up to me after the meeting just to see how I was doing because he knew I was new. And I just like interrupted him. I was like, you be my, you be my sponsor. <laughs> and, uh, he laughed and he said yes. And, and he's been my sponsor ever since. He is to this day. Um, and I get choked up, like thinking about him and the fact that he was, you know, I met him in whatever, June of 2015 when I was, when my life was just, it's just a mess. But like there was this hope at that time. And, um, and I met him then and, and he's now seen, he's been with me this whole time while, you know, just blessings from the, from the program and from my new life have rolled in. And, um, you know, I worked the steps with him. I, I, took a decent bit of time to do it. Um, but, and you know, I procrastinated here and there, but the steps were, I mean, this, that's, this is, this is the deal. Like, it, it, you know, it's, I, once I found that I could talk about drinking with people who understood, I, I, I gained some neutrality early on. I, I really did. I was like, all right, I, I don't want to drink. Like I, I'm okay. But the question was, what do I do with myself now? What do I do with myself? Yeah. Um, what does my life look like without this? Because that was completely my identity. Um, I mean, I was that guy. I was, I was party dude who wanted to get fucked up all the time. Um, and you know, the, the steps just gave me a, a, first of all, gave me something to do. (laughs) Meaning gave me something to do because I was unemployed. Um, you know, I reading the book, meeting with a sponsor, going to meetings a lot, gave me something to do. Um, that, that I, where I felt engaged, you know, and I felt like I was really a part of something. Like I felt just engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, so it gave me something to do. And, uh, it also just started like I was, I had, I had embraced this humility. You know, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell a story anymore. You know, my life was in the gutter. I, I was unemployed. I didn't know what the hell I was going to do for a living. Uh, I, I was just starting to be honest with you. I told everyone, I, I was like, yeah, here's what happened. Um, and so at that point, you know, what, what, what kind of reputation am I trying to maintain? What kind of narrative am I trying to maintain? I was like, the humility was a huge blessing. And I, and I, I kind of took that and ran with it to other parts of my life, you know, where I had been just filled with hubris and arrogance and, and ego. And like, I, I just, I don't know, the steps are just, they show you that there's a better way to live. Once, once I smashed the delusion, you know, with the help of this program, I didn't smash it. Once, once my higher power and this program and everything smashed the delusion that I, that my life revolved around getting fucked up every day, I could, I, I started to realize that I could break other kinds of delusions too, like that I could manipulate my way to happiness 
in a relationship, that I can manipulate another person to be the person I wanted them to be in a relationship, whether it was romantic or friendship uh, or family. Um, and I started to have these insights that like, there was just this, a better way to live on so many fronts. Um, cause I never grew up. I mean, I just never learned how to cope with anything like a real adult. Cause I just had such a better solution, which was the exit. And, um, and once I, once I realized that I'm going to die or end up in jail for a very long time, if I continue on this path, I realized, okay, I've got to get, I, I, I can't, I can no longer use that. You know, that's not available to me anymore if I want to live. And therefore I've got to start dealing with a lot of difficult things in life, like relationships, uh, my, my employment plight at the time. Like, so I decided to go back into law and that was a long friggin' road because my character and fitness application was not pretty. Um, and so, but anyway, I, I worked the steps. I, um, I cleaned house. Um, you know, I made amends. I started sponsoring guys. Um, nothing that really took early on, you know, um, but I've, I'm currently sponsoring two guys, as I mentioned before, and sponsorship is huge. Um, I rely on it. I need to stay sober by sponsoring others. Um, and, you know, I go to meetings. I've worked the steps once fully, and then I've done, like, kind of, like, spot work on steps since then. I've done step four work when I, when I think I've needed to. Um, I've, I've gone back and done additional nine step work um, with things that kind of just cropped up that I hadn't thought of the first time. Mm. Um so I, I think it's 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 a work in progress. I when I go to meetings a lot, I I I get I touch on all the steps really, and I and I if I'm embracing the program and the principles behind each step, then I'm working them all the time, you know. And I don't always do it perfectly. And I can always go to more meetings. And I can always read the book more. And I can always meditate more regularly. But um, I look at this program as as a, a, an invitation to continue being willing. And I love that low bar sometimes. Sometimes the bar is higher and I know it, you know, and I, and I know it and I need to meet it. But, but sometimes if I just say, look, I'm willing to, to grow in this program and, and try different things, try meditation, try different prayers and meetings. And, you know, I think I'm going to be okay. Um, you know, try, try doing this podcast, right? Like this is different. This is different. And I know I'm not drinking tonight, right? <laughs> because of it. Right. And so that's what it's about. I mean, the, the surest way I can keep a drink out of my hand is to, out loud, I'm Ben, I'm an alcoholic. I mean, that's, that's all there is to it. So, anyway, um, wow, man, I rambled forever here. Let me let me pause and, and say, you know, is there anything specific you want me to touch on? Uh, hey, man, thanks for sharing your story. I really let you just let it all out, man. And I think you did great. Yeah, you know, it's been. It's been a while since I've given a lead or anything. It's been at least two years. So That's cool. I guess I had it pent up. <laughs> so you talked a little bit about how you were in the manipulating situations and relationships and people. Um, how how is that? How do you feel about that today? Like how are you? Where are you with that manipulation? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I, I think I think I'm I instinctively start wanting to do it sometimes. Um, you know, I don't even, I don't get, I don't get down on myself for having that instinct, right? We all, we, like we want things and we want things to be the way we want mm -hmm. a lot of times, right? And I don't think that's like that weird of an urge, but mm -hmm. um, I, I, I think I'm pretty good at realizing that it's not going to work. <laughs> it's going to blow up in my face. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And it's going to cause me stress and energy to do it. Mm. So, you know, I am, my, my favorite passage in the book is, is the one about um, the delusion about the, the delusion that I can wrest satisfaction from this world. If I only manage well, mm. I try to keep that passage in my head at all times. Am I managing, you know, am I managing things in my life? Um, and now I, it's a little contradictory, right? Because the first step says like our lives had become unmanageable, right? And part, so part of the, what the program promises is that our lives, kind of become manageable again. Mm -hmm. I don't think you need to like read into it too much. Yes. My life is manageable on a number of fronts. I can manage my finances and my job and, you know, <clears throat> and things like that. Right. And yeah. my diet and I can manage exercise and things like that. <clears throat> but uh, for me, it's about personal relationships, not really being manageable 
except to the extent that I can just put effort into them and I can, I can, um, I can participate. So I'm doing all right on, on avoiding manipulation for the most part. Sometimes I get into it, you know, sometimes I realize I'm starting it, but I don't get too far along where I cause disastrous results these days. Um, sometimes it, the urge to manipulate creeps in for work a lot, which is, that can be confusing because like, you know, my job is to manipulate like a case to get a good outcome for my client, right? And, but, but sometimes there's this real clear alarm that goes off when I know I'm just like overthinking something, overmanaging it, really trying to manipulate it. And rather than just like doing the honest work to get the outcome I need. And the biggest tool for me in this program is the ability to be honest with myself. And that'll, when that alarm goes off for me, you know, sometimes I, sometimes I hit snooze, <laughs> but <laughs> like it keeps that. going off. And I usually am able to be like, I need to, I need to get my hands off this and, and not try to take the easy way out. That's usually what it is with work. I'm usually trying to figure out the easy way out. Right. So. How's the anxiety today? I know early on you said you had a ton of anxiety, you know? Oh yeah. Um, Oh yeah. I, I don't, yeah. My anxiety is fine these days. You know, I get stressed out. I, I get overwhelmed, you know, thinking about the future sometimes. Yeah. Like, thinking it's all going to unravel or something, you know, but yeah. I'm generally an optimistic person. So like that stress doesn't really jive with my general attitude. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I think I do. Okay. The other day, my fiance just randomly asked me, she's like, what's your stress level right now? <laughs> and not because I was stressed. It was really came out of nowhere. Yeah. And, and uh, I'm like, what out of five, I guess maybe a two. <laughs> I don't know. Nice. Yeah, right. And I don't think that I don't think anyone is going to say, "Oh, this program treats anxiety or treats depression." Absolutely not. You know, that's yeah. not the recommendation I'm making or anything like that. But, but it's it's given me tools to deal with the, the stress of real life. I mean, yeah. it's as simple as that. And and I'm not minimizing clinical anxiety or clinical depression in any way. I just don't think I suffer from that necessarily. And so my anxiety largely was just because of my unbelievable drug and alcohol habit. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was, it was largely a manufactured level of anxiety. And these days I just think it's like it's the normal stress that comes with being a productive member of society, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, sure. <laughs> and, and, uh, and sometimes it, it gets a little much and I have to, I have to cope with it. Right. And I cope with it by, doing the next right thing mm-hmm. you know sometimes the stress is caused by the fact that i have a ton of work to do and the next right thing is to do the work <laughs> you know yeah. um take a pause meditate that kind of thing but yeah no, I, I mean i've got tools today that's the thing so if you could sum up your story in a sentence or two how would that read well you know you, you know what i say you know what i say to people um like casual acquaintances who who i've who i like oh no I don't drink anymore um, and you know if, even if I tell them why like the, the, the catchy phrase I usually say is uh, it's, it's much better this way for me it, it didn't go well it's much better this way and and that's kind of it like I mean, that's, I, you know I, I don't think I'm special you know I, I think I, there's so much nuance to me and my story and all that fine but really it comes down to this it didn't go well couldn't control it, couldn't stop, and now it's better. That's it. Thanks again, Ben, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope on the Recovery Edgecast. And thank you, listeners, for checking us out again. Remember, you can find us on your favorite podcasting app, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Share us with a friend, and thanks again.